Hello, and welcome back to Just Hands. I'm joined here by longtime listener and resident of one of my absolute favorite states, Mike. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Jack. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a little while since I've seen you and a little while since I've been to Florida. Uh, we last hung out during sort of the the Sherpo. What does that sound again? Or what does that stand for again? Um, the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open. Yeah, the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open. Great series. Anyways, Mike, you've still been playing pretty regularly across the South Florida area. Where's, what location has been treating you the best? I would say my home room is the Isle uh, in Pompano. So yeah, like I love the Isle. area for people that aren't from South Florida. Are you playing mostly daytime or nighttime? Nighttime, Isle? mostly weekends as well. So mm-hmm. I'm playing like pretty, pretty primo hours when I play. Nice. Yeah, the Isle is in, it's an interesting spot. During the day, it's very retiree heavy. Yes. Which, uh, something to be said for and against that, to be sure. Agreed. Although I found that the action on the weekends and at night can be pretty good. And um, especially since they switched over to a 1,000 cap for the 2-5 game. If you get into a good game, it can be a really good game. Yeah. I have mixed feelings because I like 1,000 cap 2-5, but... It kind of killed the five ten game. It which, did. Uh, I also yeah, there, there is no five ten game there basically at all anymore. There's a private game that runs a couple times a week, and that's it. Yeah. Um, if anyone's hearing any background noise that we are not able to edit out, that is uh, the yelling of the one and only Matt Berkey, <laughs> recording from the software offices. And yeah, it's hard to get too private around here, so we're doing our best. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> As you might expect, we're going to be talking about a hand from the Isle Casino, um, from 2-5. Mike, do you want to set up the details for us? Sure. Um, I was playing, I think it was uh, yeah, a Friday night. I get seated at a table with two of my friends that showed up at about the same time as me, which is always like a bit unfortunate and something that I'm not trying to do. But you know, mostly because the two friends that I was there with are, are both like, competent winners and so i'd rather not sit at the same table as them but regardless we're having a good time joking around the table is pretty good and then the main villain in our hand of note sits down the villain is a weirdo he's um like instantly a weirdo he's a 30 year old caucasian guy he sat down in the nine seat and the dealer asked him if he wanted to be dealt in he said no i'll wait which is weird at the aisle because you don't need to pay the big blind when you're joining a game. So there's no advantage. Um, He immediately put two pine cones out on the table in front of him. And then he took out like a leather notebook and started like very visibly looking at each individual player at the table and taking notes. And he was in for the 1K max. So hmm. that's my opinion about yeah. the note. I think we can take more from the note-taking than the pine cones. Uh, I agree. The pine so, cones polarizing, for sure. Yeah, pine cones. I mean, they weren't... I haven't read about pine cones or done much studying, but it was weird. Um, so there was only like one major interaction of note before the hand in question. It was the villain's first big blind, so the first hand that he was dealt in at the table. And I opened the button to like a standard size. I opened a 20 on the button. 
and it folded to him in the big blind and he stared at me for over a minute and then folded. <laughs> and so like, it, like it was so weird to the point where another player at the table commented on it. So I don't know if that gives you any idea of what our interactions going forward might be, but he, he seemed uh, already like antagonistic with me um, before these hands take place. Yeah. I mean, I think this is obviously going to be someone who is thinking, maybe not thinking well, right? but taking things very seriously, clearly. Oh, There's yes. a lot of intention to this player's presence at the table so far. I usually so, divide players at 2-5 at into players that are trying to win and players that aren't trying to win instead of players that are like good or bad or something. And then like there's subcategories within those two major categories, but he's clearly in the trying to win category. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's not just here to gamble. Uh, no, no, no. Very clearly not. Very clearly not. So I guess we'll, we'll stop beating around the bush. I'll get to the, the specific. Yeah. I think one last thing we can say about him is probably that he's, he's probably willing to step out of line. If he like really like thought about something with you for a whole minute and then folded. Like unless he's, it's just like some sort of big act, which it might be. It it could shift him towards just like, you know, if he he most likely had something terrible, and if he was thinking about anything, it would have been like probably raising like. So, I think I that agree. sort of lends him towards doing some really kind of crazy aggro things. I agree. I think that he is likely to do things like take squeeze spots or three bet light, like things that frankly, are probably like winning, like good winning plays in this game. But I think that he might take them maybe too often if I'm in the pot. I'm not sure. That was my impression, at least, going into the hand. All right. So we've been at the table for about an hour. Villain and I have already played like a few hands together, including one three-bet pot that I won. And then this hand happens. So it folds to me in the cutoff. I open to $20 with 10 jack of diamonds. Uh, the small blind calls, and then the villain three bets to 100 from the big blind. We're like 1.1K effective to start the hand. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is a like a pretty clear call, given stack yeah, sizes. I, I very much agree. Right. Um, so I call the small blind folds. 220 in the pot. The flop is nine of hearts, nine of clubs, four of hearts and the villain checks. Mm-hmm. Are you stabbing here? Or are you checking back? So I think there are some qualities of this hand, which are nice for us. A lot of our nine X is going to contain either the 10 or the Jack of diamonds. And so what does that mean? It means that if our opponent has something like, tens or jacks or ace jack or ace 10 these are all not going to contain the jack of the 10 of diamonds and so in total that just kind of shifts us towards being able to have nine we also have some backdoor equity against most hands in range which is useful like an eight is a very good card for us a queen i think is a relatively neutral card against like when we bet and get called so we have some barrel ability. Obviously not having a heart could pose some issues. But overall, 
our range is more weighted towards suited hands. So just generally speaking, a flush board is going to be advantageous for us. Yeah, I think that the fact that this guy could just be taking a lot of hands that are ahead of us and making this play now planning to just check fold, I think means that we should at least be starting out with a stab. And I think that our hand has some qualities that could lend to a multi-street bluff. I, I definitely agree. I decide to, to stab. I bet 100, which I think in hindsight might be a little bit small. But my, my plan was to set myself up for multiple streets. Um, I don't know if you agree, but I thought that Villain couldn't really have a lot of hearts here. It just seemed pretty unlikely to me that he would three-bet preflop and then not continue with his flush draws on a board like this. I don't know what your thoughts are about that. I think playing hearts through a check call line would be surprising. I think check raising hearts is something that is not so unlikely. And I I don't think we're going to be able to rule it out, but I think the field tends to play... Like, I don't think there's a whole lot of mixing between, like, aggression and passivity. I think that's a more sophisticated type of play. And so the idea of our opponent having the sophistication to, like, take their foot off the gas with something like ace-king of hearts play through check calls and then decide whether or not to take aggressive action later in the hand. It's just atypical for the field. So I agree that hearts are going to be heavily discounted from this check. And I think even more heavily discounted if our opponent plays through a check call. I don't mind the sizing. I actually wouldn't hate even a little bit smaller, like the high end of like a down bet. I think we have a lot of like this flat bet we can make with a lot of hands and our opponent like we have a lot of 9x, but SPR is such that we don't have so much 9x that our opponent can't like leverage us pretty effectively with overpairs. You know, just to recap, SPR is like four and a half, which means that there are basically two pot size bets. So if we like went 1.1 pot across two streets, we'd be all in. So I I like starting maybe in like the 80 or 100 ballpark. I think 100 is good. I, if anything, I would go smaller because I think that we have a lot of hands that want to pick off easy folds now and mm-hmm. the amount of hands that are going to want to bet twice is much smaller. Like when we have a small pair, like let's say like sixes through eights, tens, jacks, any nine, a lot of heart draws, some other backdoor draws, like what we have, a lot of these are going to want to bet and we're well protected against check raise. But I think if we come out with like a big polarized bet, it just looks a little fishy. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're on board with the bet of a hundred then. Yeah. Um, I like, I like a hundred. Okay. And the villain calls. So when he calls here, I think that his range contains like some ace high hands that he decided to just call once with thinking that I might be getting out of line as well as maybe like aces and Kings that he decided to play as bluff catchers. I don't think it makes a lot of sense for him to have a lot, a whole lot else in his check call range. Um, unless he's three betting like under pairs as well, which he might be, but he doesn't really need to when we're like 1.1 effective 
like he doesn't need to be three betting eights here, right? Yeah, I think um, those hands also have like a good amount of incentive to bet. Right, just for protection's sake. I mean, for a, a few reasons, I'd be much less surprised to see queens than eights in a check call range. Sure. But yeah, I, I think that waiting... But do you agree that he still has some ace highs here when he check calls? Oh yeah, I, I would be... I mean, I think it'd be a pretty big mistake to just check fold ace-king on I agree. this board. And same with ace-queen. And if we had a heart and didn't decide to barrel, then I think that'd be you know, a horrible play to just go ahead and check fold right. those sorts of hands. The sort of okay. wheel aces that are not hearts are tr- a trickier case. Right. If he has like ace three of diamonds or something where he has no backdoor flush draw, he has like a bad backdoor straight draw and one over. Like, yeah. that's probably a fine check fold. I think, though, we should expect like some ace highs that are not like ace king, ace queen, just based on our, our read that Dylan is going to be like relatively wide in his thinking. And so I think the most likely combos would be wheel aces that maybe have like a backdoor plus draw. It wouldn't be shocking for those to play through a check call. But yeah, I think mostly ace high, like a range that contains mostly ace highs and is protected by some over pairs and maybe some 9x. I think it's worth realizing that our opponent doesn't sacrifice a ton in terms of ability to get value with top end hands by checking flop. Like we mentioned. Yes. I agree. Um, the SPR is such that like two large bets will get the money in. And so if our opponent does have a nine, I would not be surprised to see a check, feeling like there's very little downside. Yep, that makes sense to me. Um, when we bet small, though, and face the check call, mm-hmm. um, I think we can discount those a little bit because now we have so many... We clearly have so many checkbacks on the turn that... If our opponent plays through a check call check line starting on the flop, then they are starting to risk like missing value because right, not getting the money in. I would expect him to check raise with like at least some of his value on the flop for that reason. Yeah, I would think that a lot of like jacks, queens, and nine x would check raise for value on the flop. I think it'd be yep. a very strong play. Yep. Um, so what what turn cards are you going to barrel? I think cards that are very good for us in in a lot of ways are a 10, mm-hmm. a jack, for obvious reasons. We're now just like ahead of a lot of our opponent's range. But and do you have- think that a jack is like, or a 10 even, is like too good a card to barrel? Like, like, we're, like we're turning a hand into a bluff that might not need to be a bluff, but it's not really strong enough to bet for value? So these are hands that... Basically, here's my thinking. We're up against a lot more ace high than I think we are up against like big pairs, just because there's more from a pure combinatorics standpoint. Sure. And so we're we're up we're in a situation where we can either choose to make a bet and sort of force our opponent into a point of indecision or indifference, or we can check back and try and pick off bluffs. And so depending on what we think of this player, one or the other of those might be best. I'm right. concerned that like on that run out specifically, not much ace king, ace queen would try and bluff us on the river. And so I think we benefit a little bit more from trying to either get value or get folds from those hands, which still have a reasonable amount of equity. Like ace king is going to have like 10 outs. 10 outs. Right? Yeah. And if we induce some check raises on like a 
a Jack or a 10, I think that we're relatively happy to get it in versus that range. I wouldn't be choosing like a polarized sizing. I think betting small again is would serve us better. What about, so we've, we've covered tens and jacks, but what about a heart on the turn? A heart is tricky. Let me, let me stick with the easy stuff for now. I think okay. a jack or 10 betting small again is going to be a good option and checking is also a good option. I think eights and sevens are very clear like polarization cards for us. Now, our sizing on the flop is such that we might, even if we're planning on taking like a multi-street sort of polarized line, we still might not be incentivized to pull out on the turn just because we're still kind of in like, if we want to pull out on the turn, where it's basically for a shove. Yeah, and if we're shoving turn, if we're shoving turn, like it's a pretty big overbet still. Yeah. So I think planning to continue like betting 150 on those cards, but then planning to pull the trigger on the river Mm -hmm. is very good. On a heart, it's tricky because we're in this same kind of sizing conundrum where we're up against a range that has a lot of one heart hands. We, we would think. And so we, it's hard to get many of these hands to fold on the turn or the river just because so many of these hands are going to have either the ace or the king of hearts. So again, I think betting small on those hands or on those cards could be good just to get some easier folds from the portion of range that contains no hearts. Like right. ace, 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 or whatever. Yeah, some of those hands. But I don't think I would be planning to triple off on like a hard turn. I, I would need some additional information, just because there are so many like aces with a heart, kings with a heart, ace king with a heart, ace queen with a heart. That these hands just make for pretty natural call downs, or check raises or check shoves on the turn. Like it wouldn't be surprising at all to see like ace king, ace queen with a heart. Just go ahead and check shove the turn. Right, which would be. Yeah, that'd be no good. No good, because we still have equity against those hands that we'd like to realize. Sure. Okay, well, the turn was the eight of clubs. So that brings, just a, like a reminder, it's uh, yeah. nine of hearts, nine of clubs, four of hearts, and then the eight of clubs on the turn. Yeah, this is a dream. I think we're just planning to shell off at this point. Yeah, I had a, I had a similar feel. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so villain checks to us. And what are you sizing? There's 420 in the pot currently. And there's like like 800 left in the stacks. Yeah. So at this point, we're repping like 9x plus. Right. And we also have several boat combos. Like we have three combos of eights full. And it's, I think, uh, one combo of... Is this a double flush draw board now? It's a double flush draw board now. Oh, okay, great. Then we have two combos of eight nine suited. Eight nine suited, and obviously those hands do not want to bet large here. They want to allow these various ace king, ace queen hands with some kind of flush blocker or flush draw to continue. So yeah, on such a dreamy card, like if we wanted to just like overbet shove right now, I'm I'm down. But I also think that probably but like we're never we're not playing any of our top end value that way though. Right. I think we can play some nine X this way with a shove, I guess yeah. like, because those hands are somewhat more vulnerable. 
basically, I'm, in, I'm endorsing that line as a possibility, but I think what is best is playing the way that our 9-8 and 8s um, would want to play, which is just going ahead and betting small again and setting up one SPR on the river. And so betting something between 150 and 200 here. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I made a little bit of a sizing mistake in game, and I, I bet a little bit too big, I think. Uh, I bet 250. And the reason I thought that was a sizing mistake is just because like now we don't have a one SPR on the river. Like we have like a like a two-thirds SPR on the river, which I think could make the river barrel not as effective as I want it to be some of the time. Yeah, I I think that is true. I think part of the other some of the other issues with this sizing. So let me first say that I do think there are some merits to this sizing. I think it's a sizing that is a little bit more consistent with how the field plays value. The field doesn't necessarily think through the lens of like, I have bluffs that want to like leverage at some point. And so what happens is the field just tries to bet as much as they think they can get away with and sort of milk people in equal segments. And so I think 250 planning to set up like 450 on the river um, or whatever it would be. I think it's like, I think it's like 550 on the river. Because we started eleven hundred effective, not one. Oh, we started eleven hundred effective. So yeah, okay. I think it's I think it's six fifty into nine twenty on the river. All right, that's actually kind of reasonable. I actually don't mind this sizing. I probably no. would go, I probably would go two hundred, and that's but it's just like nitpicking a little bit, right? I, I think in my head we had like a hundred dollars less, and now we're getting into this awkward spot where like we're kind of folding like a lot of equity when we get shoved down here. Whereas when we get shoved on for, if we bet 200, 250 and get shoved on for like an additional 650, 700, we can fold with a lot of confidence. Whereas in a situation where we might have up to like 10 outs, um, 12 outs, that kind of sucks. Anyway, I like this size as kind of an exploit where it looks a little bit more like how the field would play value. And if I wanted to for sure choose the same size with like my whole range, I I would probably go 200. Okay. All right. So we're, we're, we're close though. So the villain calls and now we're going into the river with nine twenty in the pot and like six and change left in the stacks, like six fifty mm-hmm. or so. What's your plan for rivers before we say what it is? So I'm thinking about rivers where I wouldn't shove. I think right. that the easiest, clearest cut definitely don't shove this river is like an ace or a king. Agreed. I think a queen is dicey, but no, actually it's not because we'd have a straight. So right, we make a straight. Like obviously there's some some boats in his range and that would be awful, but I think we still have to jam a queen. I think clubs are a little dicey. Our opponent retains a lot of club blockers and also would then, hands that would become like the nut flush, hands like wheel aces that had a backdoor Ace, king, ace, queen of clubs are hands that could play this way. Aces, kings with a club. All hands that are going to be tough to get to fold on a club run out. I, right. actually, I actually think our, our opponent probably has more clubs than hearts at this point, which is, I think, basically your read on the flop. Yes. So I would, I, rather, I, agree. I would rather follow through on hearts than clubs, personally. Yeah, um, I was planning. So when, when I bet the turn and he called, I was planning on jamming all heart rivers other than maybe the ace of hearts and maybe the king of hearts. 
And then obviously I'm going to jam the river when we make a straight. Yeah. Um, I think the, the straight when we have like the seven of clubs, like we're, we're going to lose to some flushes, but I think of course that's, we can just go ahead and jam the value. Right. A jack and a 10 are kind of interesting. Well, obviously we're not shoving, but, but I don't think, I, I don't think have, like, I don't, I don't know. You're, you're going to bet like, if, if the river is a jack and he checks to you, are you going to bet like $300? Like $200. Yeah. Like you're just going to go really like a, like a total fuck you bet. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure what I would do, but I think we're doing like relatively well against range. such that like, we should consider going for value. I just don't like, I don't know. We're relying on some like, un, like total unknown villain to like hero call us with ace high. Yeah, I think we have to be ready to call off too. Um, and we could really be owning ourselves if like we induce shoves from over pairs and folds from ace high. Right. So it's probably not something that I would end up doing, but I think it's worth in this sandbox of poker thought considering like, do we go for it? Right. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm cool with considering it, but <laughs> at least in, in game, like, I was not even considering jamming a 10 or a jack. Like I was going to be very happy to check those back. Oh yeah. No, I wouldn't. I would not not jam. jam Sorry. Like I wasn't considering betting a 10 or a jack though. Like I I was going to be pretty happy to check those back. And yeah, I think that's, that's pretty reasonable. Right. Like it it was interesting when you said like on a 10 or I wasn't even considering betting those. Um, But a nine is a give up. I think. Yeah, I agree. A nine is a give up. I think, um, I think an eight is kind of an interesting card where it like double pairs the board because we should have like way more nines than our opponent. I we also have might, we might have more eights too. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think are. our opponent barrels a lot of like seven, eight, eight, ten if he has them. And so I think anytime we had an eight, we could just go ahead and shove. Yeah, I agree. So I think, I think we can plan on jamming an eight and also. All right. Well, the river was the seven of clubs, one of the cards that you mentioned earlier. So we make our straight, but the backdoor flush does come in. Yeah, bittersweet. Right. And bittersweet. The, villain che- the villain checks. Yeah, I think, I think he just put it in there. Right. Yeah. Let's hope for the best. So, yep, I ripped it. And we didn't get snap called, which is always great because <laughs> um, it means that we're probably winning, uh, almost certainly winning. And the villain just starts to tank. And he That's really like not a surprise. <laughs> no. No, given that he tanked for uh like a four X open on his first hand of the table, like, yep, he's uh he's deep in the tank though. And he is staring at me hard the entire time. And I'm just kind of looking away. I, I try to keep um a similar pose when I'm in a large pot whether I'm bluffing or not bluffing, yeah. I just kind of uh, look down and away. Um, I don't really make eye contact. I don't engage. I wish calling the clock was more of like a bluff tell. I know. So here's the thing. He's thinking for like, it had been over three minutes straight at this point. And he's like trying to talk to me and I've given him nothing. and. So I did call the clock after about three and a half minutes and the floor comes, they call the floor, the floor comes over to the table 
Floor asks the dealer if he's had enough time to act. Dealer says yes. Floor starts counting it down. And with five seconds left on the clock, the villain mucks. Yeah. And I think that I should not have called the clock. But it's hard to not be results-oriented about it. Yeah, I would say that like the chances that you're calling the clock cause him to fold are very low. Very low, obviously. But like, then I kind of put myself in the shoes, like if I was running it, would I have called the clock? And I don't know if I would have. That's when I think you should. Right. I think, uh, so basically, the sort of psychology of the tells here is that bluffers tend to be very agreeable in that moment. Yep. And calling the clock is extraordinarily disagreeable. So I think if, yeah, if I were bluffing and I know this guy is like, has been kind of a tinker, I would probably like call the clock to like 30 seconds. Really? Okay. Just, I mean, like it's something that like I've, I haven't really had much of a chance to do that, but it has, it is something I've thought about. You haven't, you haven't, you haven't really balanced your clock calling range very much. No, I'm just like, I'm playing in so many home games where people don't take that long for one. And I would also right. never call clock on people. Yeah, I'm actually going to play in a home game tonight, so I get that. Yeah, so it's like I've been paying a lot more attention to poker tells like the last year and a half where a lot of my volume has come in in home games. Mm -hmm. So I haven't had much of a chance to do this. But yeah, I I think that calling the clock after like one minute on this guy when we're running it is a pretty strong play. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I um. So I spoke with one of my friends who was at the table um, about the hands uh, like the next day. Your and friend, by the way, your friend is the one who's supposed to call the clock. So that's what I said to him. Yeah. Like, I didn't know if you wanted me to call the clock. And I was like, yes, Steve. Like, yes. Just like I assume that like, I don't want to just like sit here for like right. five minutes. Like, <laughs> yes. Like I would have, I would have 100% called the clock if I was the friend in this shoes. Yeah. Like, hundred percent. Oh yeah, for sure. That was a major, major. I think that he was afraid that I was running it and that he would like affect the action in some way. Yeah. Interesting, but I don't know. I actually think most tanks end in a fold. Oh, for sure. And so, yeah, it's, it's someone, I mean, if it wasn't your friend, like someone at the table has to call the clock at some point. I was shocked that nobody did because like, the table did not like this player at this point. Like he'd only been there for an hour, but he was by far the table like antagonist, not in the sense that he was like running over the table or playing particularly well, just that he was so, he was so disagreeable to use your word. Like he was not friendly. (laughs) It was bad. He was bad for the game. Really. It's really your, the thing is it's really your friend's responsibility though, because your friend is probably the only person who understands you could be bluffing here. I, th- I would actually guess that everyone else at the table figured there was absolutely no chance you were bluffing. And that oh, of course not. Absolutely yeah. no chance that this guy was good. And they just wanted to let him call. So right. Away. Right. Yeah, my, my friend definitely knows that I can be bluffing here. And, yeah. And I definitely can be bluffing here. It just so happens in this spot, I, I wasn't. Yeah, I mean, you were, we were tripling like half the deck here. Right. Yeah, well, you know, we can't always just get it in versus ace king like you know aces like ace of spades king of hearts would be a terrible call here like you know it's you just can't call no of and course I, not. I doubt i would be a little bit surprised if like aces or kings folded yeah he so the the villain was like we ended up playing together for 
for about like five or six hours um, that night. And he told me like later in the night when he was trying to get info out of me that he had folded aces that hand. But I have no reason to believe that he was telling the truth. So I'm not sure. I, I think aces is like a, like a pretty unlikely fold there. Yeah. Um, I mean, if he is sophisticated, maybe aces, aces with like the ace of hearts is, I mean, if he's semi-sophisticated. Yeah, I agree. I think that's an okay fold. Um, but I don't know that most players are making it. I don't know. Most players that are three betting aces and then getting like this run out, I think are just gonna, especially taking like the check call, check call line. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And just to be, I think it's worth jumping in to the audience who probably is hearing us say like, well, we were going to barrel half the deck. Right. But we don't necessarily expect Ace of Kings to fold. Basically, the thought here is that we are stringing along a lot of overcards like aces, or sorry, ace king, ace queens, maybe some wheel aces that turn to backdoor clubs. And so we have enough hands to target for a fold with like a you know 60% pop bet on the river uh, or two-thirds pop bet. Yep. Where maybe we need like a quarter of aces, kings combos to fold to be profitable. But it's it's not like we have to just... Ex- aces and kings are the top of our opponent's range. So we don't need our opponent to always hold those. So we do have... We can show up to the river with value targets and also show up to other rivers with like enough blood targets so that the play is coherent. So just, of course. And I yeah. also think that like on some of the cards that we're barreling that we don't get there, the villain is more likely to fold aces or kings. Like, you know, for example, if the river is a heart and he does not have the ace or the king of hearts in his hand, I think that he is very likely to fold basically all of the rest of his hands. So I think that we have a lot of like good bluffing cards on this river and it's reasonable to expect him to fold some aces, like a lot of his aces and kings on some runouts. Yeah. I think an eight also is gross, really gross for villain. I agree. I think an eight would have been a really interesting card. And I think I would have definitely just, just went for it. On a total brick, I'd be surprised if those hands fold and we can just be confident that like all these king, his queen folds. Yes. Yes. I agree. Yeah, Mike, I think it was a very, very well-played hand. Um, Thanks. It was a fun one. Yeah, it's pretty satisfying. Like, as much as you want to get that last money in, it's also kind of fun just to make the guy, like, tank fold, lose half of his stack without getting to see if he had the best hand. Yep. Oh, yeah. We we fired those cards right into the muck. There was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely interesting. Well, thanks for having me on, Jack, and I, I appreciate your input on the hand. Oh, pleasure, Mike. Uh, Hopefully we'll get you back on soon. Some I'll be back in Florida at some point. I know. Um, All right. Well, when you're when you're down here, give me a shout. We'll uh, we'll grab a drink or something. Yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, thanks again for coming on, and I'll see all of you guys listening uh, next week.